to Pastor's Prophecy Hour, your midweek installment of the Greater Life Church podcast. I'm Landon, and I'm here again with Pastor Andrew to talk about this next episode. Pastor Andrew, what are we going to be talking about in this episode? Well, you know, there's a whole idea. This episode is called Follow the Signs or Watch the Signs, but the point is I want to talk about some signs in the Old Testament that prove different experiences with the Lord. And then what is our responsibility as believers in watching the signs and reacting? Modern signs. That's right. In time stuff, because we know things are bad, but how do we react? And it's my conviction that the believer must have hope, but also we must be honest about what's going on. So Landon, here we go. Signs all over the place. We're going to look at some really, really troubling things. Got some videos uh, that are going to be attached to this podcast. Uh, But I really, I really feel if people will take a moment, tune in, that not only will they be reminded how close we are to Jesus coming back, but also we're going to end with the hope of heaven as we kind of think about what it might look like in eternity. That's great. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. It's going to be awesome. Thanks. I'm going to try to structure Pastor's Prophecy Hour in this way moving forward. So I am not promising, but I'm saying it is an effort that I will be making to lead with the negative and then close with the positive. All right, does that sound okay? So maybe we start off with a little bit of uh, scary stuff, and then we, by the time we're done, we're going to be thinking about heaven again. Does that sound okay? All right, because I feel... Even here, as I'm sharing it, I feel like I want to end on a hopeful note. All right. Tonight we're talking about follow the signs. Watch and listen. Now, Donna, you got quite the vent today. It sounds like what's going on with you. Well, I wanted to voice my opinion on something that's been bothering me for a really long time. Okay. Um. I I tried writing the newspaper and contacting uh, TV stations, but nobody seems to want to stay with this. So that's why I'm calling you guys. What's the the issue? Over the past few years, I've been involved in three separate car accidents involving deer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, with the population and everything. Um, Each of these incidents, they've occurred shortly after I saw a deer crossing sign on the highway. Well, my frustration is that Minnesota and North Dakota Departments of Transportation would allow these deer crossings to be in such high traffic areas. I mean, I've even seen them on the interstate. Why are we mm-hmm. encouraging deer to cross at the interstate? I don't get it. That's such a high traffic area. I mean, you think they would put deer crossings maybe, you know, in, you know, smaller towns, maybe during a, like at a, at a school crossing, that's, would, it would be a safer place for them to, to cross, Wait, you know, put the deer crossing sign. You know, deer crossings aren't telling deer that it's safe to cross there. It's just more of like an alert for drivers. So they know it's like a high deer population. The government put the deer crossings there. They can direct the deer population anywhere they want to by moving that deer crossing sign. I mean, you know, why in the world would they place it? On the highway or the interstate, you know? I mean, God, 
there are so many other places I can think of than putting the deer crossing signs on, on busy highways right. and interstates. You seem to be under the misunderstanding that the deer are somehow attracted to the deer crossing sign. Well, well, yeah, the deer crossing sign is there to allow the deer to know that's where they need to cross. Right. And all these car accidents you had involved a deer after you'd saw a deer crossing sign. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm trying to watch out for the deer, but I mean, I'm, you know, the limit's 55, 65. How am I supposed to, you know, you can't break really quick if you, you know, if the deer just is crossing in that deer crossing area. I think we get the point. <laughs> Why? I mean, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. But, you know, honestly, as believers, the scripture lays out a lot of signs, right? And sometimes we just completely miss them or misinterpret them. Um, one of the things that, that has gotten all of Christendom in trouble is trying to take signs and be overly specific and interpret them into their own wheelhouse of thinking. And so we've done studies here before on religions and different, um, even cults or what have you, when we talk about the roots of the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, and, and how they go all the way back to a movement that would pick dates where Jesus would return because of the signs. Now, what I want you to understand, though, is what we're going to be talking about tonight is while signs are great indicators, what our conviction here at Greater Life and me personally, I, I believe that Jesus could come at any time. And I, I stand on that because the, the things that we see every day, we get closer to the new world order, the one world religion, to these tragedies happening and accelerating even at a more quicker pace so that tribulation, great tribulation period could happen very, very quickly. But I also don't want to overstate, you know, there's, there's a thing that, that, that a lot of uh, preachers have said over the years and, and even that I think my dad used to say this is, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. So don't be so consumed with in times Jesus coming back, which all of that is very important. We are to look up, right? We are to be expecting and at work while we're expecting. And so picture that if you can for just a minute. We're talking, we've been talking about prophecy all year in this setting. But when Jesus tells this disciples about the end times and there are there is this urgency, there is this moment, this unexpectedness to the rapture of the church, to the return of Christ, all of this goes with that. Yet, Jesus also says that we are to work while it's still day because we can't work when it's night. So I guess what I'm saying is one of the things I've found as I'm digging into prophecy is prophetic teachers are many. There's a lot of them. And Certainly, some of them are right on cue, but some of them, in my opinion and in the takeaway that I get sometimes, is they kind of draw you away from being effective in your daily life because you're co so consumed with what is around the corner. 
And so our responsibility is to be aware of the things that are happening, but also to be working, right? So as we look at the signs today, I have a few that are quite disheartening, frankly, and I'll start, I'll start with those. First of all, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see a passage of Scripture here that lays out what it will look like in the end. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, You should know this, Timothy, Paul is telling his spiritual son, Timothy, who's also a pastor and a minister of the gospel, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. And if you're anything like me and I'm reading these things one phrase at a time, my mind immediately goes to an example of that, of this phrase or of that phrase. And, and when, when I think of people that uh, are scoffing at God, I think of some of the Hollywood award shows where they get up there and say things like, God had nothing to do with this. It was all me, my hard work, my this, my that. And even to go so far as thanking Satan, that's scoffing at God. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They will be religious, but lack the power that makes them godly. In other words, they want the tradition and the religion, yet they don't want the change. So they want Jesus as their Savior, but not as their King. You know, they, they want to be known as someone who goes to church on a monthly basis or, or at Christmas and Easter or from time to time, or they believe in God, yet God has no real role in their life. Their life doesn't look any different than anyone else that they come into contact with that aren't professing Christians. And going on in verse 6, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teaching, but they are never able to understand the truth. Now, this scripture is written to Timothy that in those days and in those contexts and in that place, many of the churches were being steered away from the trueness of the gospel, frankly, by women that were losing the truth of the gospel. If you haven't noticed, there is a movement in society today that has done two things. Number one, the first thing that it's done is it's tried to eliminate or to say that there's no difference between men and women. But the second thing he's done is it's now elevated women, not just equal to men, but even above. So I saw a, a poster recently or a, a, a post that in the, uh, you may remember the campaign, an ad campaign of a lady that was, she had a, uh, like a do-rag on, she was flexing her muscle, I can't remember what it was called, but, but the, the, the idea, what was it called? 
Rosie the Riveter. So the idea, and that was World War II, I believe, because women were called upon to help with the war effort. And, and the idea was, I can do everything that men can do, right? And, and that was the, that was the um, recruiting, help us, help us for the war effort, come build bombs, basically. And, and then we moved into what would be called the free love movement of the 70s to where women and men, frankly, sex became a very common thing. Free, free, that's what free love is. That whole idea that not only can I do everything a man can do, but now I don't need, who needs men? And now we find ourselves in a society, and ladies, uh, not throwing y'all under the bus, because Eve sinned, but Adam was standing nearby not saying anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying... So, so can we just say we're all screwed up? But, but the devil is in it. And I'm telling you right now, the devil is in it. What we consider a feminist movement is not an equality movement today. It is a militaristic movement. And if you're really, if you're really commonsensical about it, you begin to understand that there's something not kosher, not right about what's going on. And so all of that back to Timothy and he says the problem is these teachers that are being welcomed in these homes and are, and are leading people astray is they oppose the truth. They have depraved minds, counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. I love that. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are just as they did. Now, at the end times, we find lots of things happening the blurring of the lines of our identity in Christ. We find that people are hungry, and the, the Scripture even says their ears itch for something that they want to hear, which is non-confrontational, which is a pat on the back. Keep doing what you're doing. There are many ways to God. Just try your best. God knows your heart. <laughs> yeah, He does. And, and, and my Bible says that the heart of, of us is inherently evil, and, and God knows that. You know, so Jesus came to die on a cross for us, not because God knows our heart will be okay, but because we needed a Savior. Let's just, let's just show this video. This is a video game that's actually been released. being marketed right now to children, teenagers, whoever wants to play it, scoffers of God. And unfortunately for so many, we may not pay attention close enough to see what's being played in our kid's room on the video game console. So I don't know about you, but I saw upside down crosses and pentagrams, the cult of the lamb. I mean, I don't even know how, I don't have to unpack this, the symbolism for you right? It used to be back when I was in teenager in youth, in youth group, our youth pastor, 
would show us videos. He never did it himself as far as, but they had this thing where they would take rock and roll records and play them backwards. Anybody remember that? And then you'd hear what they would say backwards and like, well, I don't listen to it backwards. (laughs) And, 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 you know, this was my favorite. I don't listen to the words, mom. I just like the music, but I say all the words when I sing. I'm sorry, mom. My mom's right there. Sorry. It's, it's so audacious. There's a little show on um, Disney that it's called Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And it was created by Disney Animation Company. And Disney Animation Company has now put together a brand new program that's been released on a network called FX. And this program is, here's a picture of what it is. So, 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 so what this program is, the idea is, is that the dad, Satan, had a child with a woman, and it's, I mean, it's called demon child or something like that, or demon girl, something like that. But anyway, I, I just wanted to show you this because even the trailer, so you can take that down. They call the girl a nickname, Antichrist. This is on television right now. It was released this past week, and now it's on the networks and, and Hulu and the like. The whole premise is that she learns how to, in middle school, tap into these powers. I mean, y'all, the apostasy, blasphemy, pride, scoffing is, is not subtle. Back in the 80s and 90s, you know, there was, a, there was a rock and roll group called Kiss that everybody knew they were terrible because they wore makeup and they had these long tongues and they go, but can I just say, I, I don't remember the boldness then of even people like that that while they would say they're kind of interested in this and and they dabble in that, there certainly was never the audacity to, hey, we're going to name our kid Antichrist. I mean, even they got the fact that, hey, there's some lines we just don't cross. There is a line called, those that blaspheme the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, right? Now, I I show that to you because what I want to start with is we're following the signs. We're following the signs. What in the Old Testament, let, let's, uh, let's take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Don't worry, I'm not going to do yoga with you. Just take a deep breath. What, what, are, what are some signs in scriptures? Well, first of all, we look at the times and seasons. And, and in Genesis chapter 1 and 14, it talks about how God created the world in such a way that each had a season in its time. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 32, we read about this group of men called men of Issachar. There were 200 of them, and they understood the signs of the times, and it told them what was best for Israel. So our responsibility as believers is to be aware of the signs of the times So we can interpret what's best. Can I just dumb it down and bring it all the way down to the level? First of all, for ourself as we walk with the Lord and our family. And then our 
church, our ministry, all of these things are microcosms of the bigger picture. And they're all related to the kingdom of God. And so we have to be like the men of Issachar, ready to understand the signs of the time. So when we see a video game that little Johnny wants us to buy, we say, no, we're not going there. The Lord's presence is also a sign or an indicator of what's next. For example, we see the story, what, what, uh, what are some signs of the Lord's presence? Well, we see that in the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt. The signs that God gave Moses work a miracle with the staff, turn it to a snake and then pick it back up. The burning bush was a sign. The Lord's presence was with Moses as all of the plagues happened in Egypt. A sign not to just Moses and just to Israel, but to Pharaoh for the sake of the people. Now, we, we can't miss that. God told Moses, go to Egypt, and I'm going to give these signs to get you guys free. Who is the one that was going to set them free? Ultimately, we know God, but who was the one in charge? Pharaoh, can I tell you that I believe that God wants to give us wonderful signs for the church, but also so the world takes notice too. They say something special is happening over that in that ministry or over there in that life. A gospel without power is not the full gospel. What are other signs of the Lord's presence? Well, the Lord's presence, there's a sign uh, about the Red Sea being parted. The water that came from a rock. And we go on through the wilderness that every time the Israelites would come into almost a conflict with another nation, one of the interactions that they would have over and over again, we know what God did for you, and now we're scared of you. We, we heard about y'all. Can, can we get heard about as people of faith? I heard about you. You're always happy. I heard about you. You have peace that passes understanding. Now, no one would ever say that. <laughs> they would say, I don't understand why you're peaceful. Huh. Think of the, uh, well, let me just, guys, can I tell you one of the most unfortunate things that I've noticed as I've done this study, as I've looked through things, I've begun to discover things, that sometimes the most rattled people in society are us. We look at what I just showed you. What was us? Oh, no. Right? Now, that's troubling. But are we to be troubled or are we to have hope? So let us be a sign to the world that no matter how bad it gets, Jesus is still in control. What about a sign of the Lord's direction? We see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire in Exodus. You may not know this, you probably do, but I'll just say it again, that the Old Testament is there for us to be able to study and learn how God interacted with Israel so we can also live on the promise that what God was able to do for Israel in the Old Covenant, He still has the power to do for us in the New. If He can work miracles then, He can work them now. If he can protect then, he can protect now. If he can heal then, he can heal now. If he can part waters then, he can part them now. If he can win victories in battle then, then he can win them now. 
And when we read about those things in the Old Testament, we say, well, I'm not an Israelite. I was never in Exodus. No, no, no. But he set them free. Why are you staying in bondage? Does he not have the power to free you? If he can free two million of them at one time, he can handle you. The Lord's power, what's some signs of the Lord's power? The victories in the promised land that Joshua and this ragtag army of Israelites won victory after victory after victory by the power of God. Another sign is that he was able to establish a monarchy under King David that Scripture says would last forever. And we know that was through Jesus and his establishment of the throne on the other side. A miracle that we cannot overstate is Israel as a nation was a nation. And then it became this area, loosely connected. But God, in 1948, reestablished a nation. And can I tell you the feeling of it all, as I've read it and I've looked at it, the feeling of it all is it's almost like everybody was saying, well, we're going to do this, but we don't really know why. <laughs> I mean, there was the sense in the League of Nations, United Nations, that whole thing is, yeah, we're going to shut Germany down and we're going to do these things and that makes sense. But how about we do this and establish this land? But we really don't know why we're doing it, but here it is. Why? Because God is said to have the heart of the king in his hand and moves it like water. What are a sign to future generations that we remember the goodness of God? We look at the 12 stones in Gilgal in Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to try to read it. I don't have my glasses. It doesn't work when you, when you try to zoom in on the... <laughs> Talk on it. <laughs> Not zooming in. Uh, Jeremiah 30. Listen, can I, can I tell you something? God can handle this problem. I have a laptop. And I reached for my laptop today. Actually, I reached for my phone. My laptop was sitting on the floor next to my seat. And I reached for my phone, and my phone dropped on my laptop, and my laptop broke. <laughs> I'm like, so I, I hit it, and it didn't fix it. <laughs> so I'm laptopless. <laughs> oh, Lord. Re <laughs> Rewind. Landon, when you're editing this, edit that word out. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. 31 to I was just mourning the loss of my laptop. Anyway, yeah, but, but so I, got, I broke it. And then I carried it in here, and Landon's sitting there hard at work, hard at work doing something. I don't know what he's doing. Something. I said, Landon, I broke my laptop. And he turns around. And then I laid it down. And I walked away. <laughs> but he figured out a way where I could see it because I just got done finishing this. I didn't save it. Anyway, I was able to get it. Jeremiah 31, 21. Here we go. Set up road signs, Jeremiah says. Set up road signs. Put up guideposts. Mark well the path by which you came. Here, catch this. So you can come back again. This was the word to Israel. Signs remind us of God's goodness. In Luke chapter 21, verse 11, we see a sign of the end times. Luke 21, 11 says that there will be great earthquakes. There will be great famines. 
plagues in many lands. How many lands? And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. And we see here in Luke chapter 21, 11, there's famines that's brought in. And what I want you to see is this about the current state of the drought. It's been a long, hot summer. Droughts and heat waves have spread across entire continents worldwide, killing crops, drying up rivers, and raising worries about our planet's future. Even as they reveal tantalizing glimpses of the past, normally hidden from view. Like this ornate 17th century garden in England, 300-year-old paths and hedges laid bare by record-setting heat. Most were revealed by falling water levels as rivers shriveled, like this island in China and its Buddhist statues believed to be 600 years old. I'm worried, this local man said. I feel like the environment has just become quite bad. I think this is a warning to us. In Spain, a dried-out reservoir displayed an entire village swallowed when the dam was built. The feeling is nostalgic as people see the home of a family member, their own, or of someone they know re-emerge, said the town's mayor. Some even date back to prehistory. In Texas, a dinosaur left these 113 million-year-old tracks. 8,000-year-old. Other waterways exposed the scars of history's worst trials, like this bomb from World War II destroyed by the Italian army. And in Serbia, a graveyard for sunken Nazi warships emerged from the Danube. But other rivers convey urgent warnings about what's to come. In German tradition, these hunger stones mark the water levels that preceded famines. The oldest one, from 1616, reads, If you see me, weep. Climate experts like Bob Ward say these hints from history shouldn't be ignored. What do you think that means for our present day? We're seeing more intense, more frequent heat waves happening all around the world. So famines happen when there's drought. The, we saw a lot of it, but to remind you of one of the things is one of the, what he called marker stones, signs, was from 1616, when you see me weep. In other words, if the water level gets to here, famine's on the way. Now, this is many lands all over the world. And the scripture says many lands, even if we don't feel it here in Mint Hill, doesn't mean that it's not a tragedy and that prophecy is not being fulfilled, right? And um, I stumbled across uh, a map and I can't confirm it. So I've, that's why I'm not going to show you a picture of it. Uh, a U.S. Navy map that has where water will be in 50 years. California is underwater. There's a big, the Great Lakes basically just come all the way down to the center of the United States anyway. Um, the world that we know it today may not look that way 15 years from now, should the Lord tarry. So famine could be around the corner. What do we do? We have hope in the Lord. So the drought video, one of the things I wanted to draw your attention to is in Revelation 16, 12, it talks about the great Euphrates drying up. And in Revelation chapter 9, it talks about these four angels that are released from the great Euphrates. That many believe that when the Euphrates dried up, these four angels are released from the Euphrates and they go out and they kill a third of the world's population. Now, the Haditha Dam, H-A-D-I-T-H-A, Haditha Dam in Iraq 
is located right where the original city of Babylon was. If you don't know, then Iraq was where Babylon used to be. And the Haditha Dam is this structure that was built in the 70s by the Soviet Union and Iraq in a joint venture. In the 1990s, during the first Gulf War, or was that the second? Early 90s. Anyway, U.S. troops took over this dam, and they began to refurbish it, and they began to go down into the lower levels of the dam, and it's said to have three levels that were underground. And they didn't spend much time in those underground levels because as soon as they would go down there, many of them could not stay down there long because their minds started to kind of wander, and, and frankly, they would go crazy, so they'd come back out. Now, I say all that to say this. There's something spiritual that they think is at this Haditha Dam, at this place, on the Euphrates. And there are many that do believe, especially people that have been there, will testify and say something supernatural's about that place in a bad way. Hearing things, seeing things. As a matter of fact, today in Iraq, the people that are posted at that dam, because it also serves as a military base, People that are posted at that dam are rotated every three to four months because they literally lose their minds if they're posted any longer than that. Why? We know, spiritually speaking and biblically speaking, that spiritual warfare is real, right? We also know that demons are also territorial. From Daniel, we read about the prince of Persia that fought with Gabriel, and we learn about these things. So we know that the territory of Babylon is bad. All through Scripture, Babylon's bad. The Euphrates is where these four angels will be released to go and wreak havoc. So we have a dam that people are testifying and saying bad stuff is happening here that's on the Euphrates that frankly is known as a place of great bloodshed from the Gulf Wars and even before that. Why are we saying all this? Because let us not forget that the world that we live in has real places that are like this. Real places that have spiritual connection. We learned about CERN. We learned about all these things. We are not to be fearful, but we are to be aware of the signs. So when you look at a comparison of the Euphrates from 15 years ago, and then fast forward five years later, it's night and day how much water is actually in the Euphrates River. When you look at the Euphrates River, it makes the Nile look like a creek. And to say that the Euphrates is going to dry up because it does not have a source. Its source is the snow caps and rain. So to say that the Euphrates is going to dry up is saying something significant because no one could ever imagine. It's beginning to dry up and scientists are saying, well, the rain really hadn't stopped that much and the snow caps are still there. Why is it drying up? No one knows. No one knows. But the Bible says that Euphrates will dry up. Here again, we learn about technology and the mark of the beast and how those things go together. We see these natural phenomenon and we see how close are we getting to Jesus coming back. Now let's end with some hope. And I want some uh, participation. Let's talk. What will it look like in the millennium. What will it look like in the millennium? So in order to find out what it will look like in the millennium, typically I always go back to the garden before sin, right? There's another place that I think we could also look. Because here's the thing. When the millennium rain happens, it's on this earth. 
right? Then, after the millennial reign, there's a new heaven and a new earth. You with me? So I want to talk about the millennium reign, and then I also want to talk about new heaven and new earth too. So if we are in the millennium reign, we have knowledge, because we've come back to reign with Christ after the tribulation, we have knowledge of what it was like before. You with me? Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them. What was, so, what was it like before sin? This is after he created everything, created uh, man. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was very good. Very good. Then we read on down in chapter 2. The Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants, listen, Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord had not sent rain to water the earth. There were no pe people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground, watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed man. Verse 8, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. The trees were beautiful. They produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed a tree of life of good and evil. Verse 10, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. First branch was called Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah where gold was found. The gold of that land was exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone could also be found there. The second branch called Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, uh, Tigris, flowed east of Asher. The fourth branch called Euphrates. Now, I read all of that to get to this point. What did man eat before sin? Huh? Come on, say it with confidence. Fruit. Right? Fruit. Produce great fruit. Before you get concerned, I'm taking us somewhere. Oh, no, pastor's going to make us all vegan. Great fruit, right? What did the animals eat, remember? They eat the leaves. They eat the plants and the leaves. People ate the fruit, right? Animals ate the leaves and the plants. There was no bread because there was no grain. Now, ideally, that's how God set it up in the beginning. But... In Genesis chapter 9, Noah. Noah started over everything, right? So we're in the millennium, but it's not new heavens and new earth. You with me? It's kind of a start over. Come on. Y'all there? All right, good. Y'all about to be blessed. <laughs> then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. All the animals of the earth and all the birds of the sky and small animals that scurry along the ground and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and, and tower. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food. 
Thank you, Lord. <sighs> I was worried. Were you worried? If you're vegan, you weren't worried at all. If you're not, you were worried. You're with me. Now, this is just fun stuff to talk about. I like to sit and imagine what will it be like. We're talking about end times. But after end times becomes eternal time. So you can't talk about end times without getting into eternal time sometime. <laughs> That's good. I should write that down. So consider the fact that Noah not only was given animals for food, also fruit, of course, when he can't find an animal. But he was given this stuff for food. And I love this part, that the animals will look on him in terror. Now, why did God do that? Because there's only eight people on the earth. <laughs> and the animals were in the ark. <laughs> and so thank God <laughs> they were scared of Noah. I just didn't Noah walking around with his seven, seven family members and the lions get, <laughs> oh man, we're hungry. Can you imagine? That would have messed everything up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were scared. Animals. It talks about things that scurry along the ground, which to me, small animals that scurry along the ground, fish of the sea, everybody looks in terror. So to me, all of those creatures, I, I, and this is just, I'm going to say this, I don't really care if it's true or not. I don't. Because I believe in my spirit, I believe that in the millennium and in heaven, that there's strong proof in Scripture that there will be animals of some kind. But I'm standing on the truth. The mosquitoes will only bite other animals and not people. <laughs> because the Scripture says that pain is gone. Amen? And so the mosquitoes come and look at us, and they have the fear of the Lord. Say, oh, I'm not getting close to that one. Can we just... Bees, wasps, spiders, all of them. They don't mess with us. But it's kind of cool because when you think about if God has created an ecosystem that exists in concert among one another, plants feeding the animals, animals feeding each other, and so on and so forth. And all of it is why. Why did God make animals? Why did God make plants? Why did God make the sky and the ocean and the sea and people? Why did God make all of this stuff? For his glory. So to me, new heaven, new earth, millennium earth, and not having all that stuff is pretty boring. Are you with me? As a matter of fact, I like to think that when we get to the other side, all of the weird animals that have been extinct might be back. I wouldn't mind riding a dinosaur. You know why? Because he's scared of me. Hey. I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Can I tell you? These are things that when we get discouraged about what's happening in the world, David said in Psalms that he encouraged himself. So these are things, if, if, if we put our phone down from time to time and we turn off the TV and we begin to consider the goodness of God and what might 
might it be like <laughs> on the other side? These are things that we can really get excited about. I was walking and praying the other day and just thinking about it, and I said, Jesus, I, I just can't wait. It's going to be, I'm thankful for everything that you're doing now. I'm thankful for my family and, and my life and, and a roof over my head. I'm thankful for all of that. But man, it's really, I know it's really going to be cool in eternity. Food, we joke about. But food is not necessary, I believe, in our glorified bodies for caloric intake. We don't need it to live. But think of food in Scripture for just a minute. Food in and of itself is not just eating to live. Now, it is that, but it also carries with it celebration. Think of the church, which was God's idea in the book of Acts. They came together, and they fellowship, and they broke bread together. As a matter of fact, they got in trouble when they treated it like a buffet, and they ate too much. Because it wasn't about that. It was about the fellowship of the brethren. And so when we think about, quote-unquote, eating on the other side, it's more about getting together in fellowship and celebration. Think of this. All of the stuff that God laid out for the Israelites, they were called feasts. What is that? A feast. Feast of tabernacles, feast of tents. All these things, these celebrations that they used to do was wrapped around this. The Passover itself was wrapped around a certain food that they did when they celebrated. Also, this may disappoint some of you, but some of you may really be freed from some of the worry and concern, is I do not believe that we're going to be naked. Some of you are so relieved right now. It's like, listen, I know it's a glorified body, but my goodness. I'm going to see people I ain't seen in a while. Hey, hey, hey. God bless you. I hadn't seen you in so long. Now, I joke about that because we, we, I do believe that we'll go back to the time when we do not have that shame and we do not have that self-conscious awareness and all that. But the Bible tells us in Revelation that the saints are wearing something. Linen garments, we're wearing something. So you might, you might feel like, man, I was really looking forward to the, to the freedom. <laughs> I know you grew up in the 70s. It was a different time. I got it. <laughs> but I'm just telling you that what I've seen in, in Revelation, when we look around, they were clothed in a linen garment. That Jesus talks about giving us new clothes. You with me? Some of us like getting dressed up. I'm going to put on my best, right? Can you imagine going to church? Can you imagine going to worship and not putting on your best? I, I mean, I'm... I'm planning on having lots of clothes, lots of shoes. It's weird. I like shoes. I got more shoes than Kelly's got. I know. What about the lifestyle? And I'll end with this. Adam worked and was not frustrated. Part of the curse, and it even used the word, you will scratch at the ground and never get enough, is all this work and all this frustration. Now, I know some of you guys have great gigs and you do great things and you're not, you're not bothered at all at your job. But at the end of the day, part of the curse is that we have a sense of frustration with working. We're, we were designed to work. Why would God give us opposable thumbs if we weren't supposed to build something? Right? Why would God design us this way? You know people are builders by nature. 
We build, we work, we do things. And I believe we're not going to be done doing things. So as soon as we think our picture is a harp on a cloud, that is not what we're going to be doing. One of the visions that is in Scripture is that, uh, that John the Revelator talks about. He looks around and he sees people on thrones that are ruling. We're going to be busy doing the work of the kingdom. And you can understand that from looking at Noah, who started over. There was no sin in the world at that time. And looking at Adam and Eve, no sin in the world. Both of them worked for the Lord. Amen? All right, I'm going to end with that. It's going to be awesome. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your time that you've given us tonight. May you bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Wait, I got one more thing I forgot. Pastor Joaquin is in the hospital. He's our Espanol pastor. This man, if you don't know him, you're missing out. He's in the hospital now for the third time with a blood infection. He went in with 110 fever. 110. I went and saw him today, and can I tell you, Pastor Joaquin and his precious little wife, Esperanza, he's doing okay, he's stable, but they've got six weeks of antibiotics that they're going to have to give him. And this man works at the church, but it's part-time, and he also works outside the church. And I asked him, do you need anything? And of course, they said, no, Pastor, just prayer. Okay, well, what about any money? Because I, we want to help them. But I thought to myself today as I came back, we're going to help them, but I want to give you an opportunity to bless them. So if you want to bless them, bless them. You can give online and just put Joaquin in there. And if you want to just drop something out there with Donna, you can just give her something. And um, Kelly, tell me what we're going to do. And we want to bless Pastor Joaquin and his wife Esperanza. Precious, precious people. So I want to pray again. I'm sorry I was praying mid-prayer and I just remembered about it. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Joaquin and his precious family. May you take care of them and bless them. And God, heal him. Please heal his body. Thank you for the precious gift that he's been, he's been to Greater Life Church. Thank you for the revival that's about to happen in Greater Life Espanol when we move them to the new facility. And God, may you use us to be a blessing to him and his family tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, God bless you. Have a great night. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to Pastor's Prophecy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from Greater Life Church, including our Sunday morning services, go to our website, greaterlife.church.